Good morning uh, to you, City Light Church. My name is Jonathan Randall. I serve on staff helping to lead our college ministry called The Salt Company. Uh, and it is good to be with you guys here this morning. We're going to preach from the Bible, hear from God's Word, celebrate who Jesus is to us. Uh, it's going to be a good morning. Well, uh, a little bit of an update. I was actually not supposed to preach this morning. Uh, I got tapped on the shoulder about 1 o'clock yesterday. Uh, There's just a bunch of sickness running through the staff. And so uh, Joe is uh, preaching out west, uh, and he's going to come here next week. Uh, and kick off our brand new teaching series in the book of Nehemiah. But this morning, uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. So if you've got your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. Here we go. Well, let me start off uh, by setting this scene. When you're on an airplane and the flight attendant is giving her instruction, his or her instructions before takeoff, does anybody listen to that? Does anybody listen to those pre-flight instructions? You know the ones I'm talking about, right? Where they, they tell you how to put a seatbelt on, they tell you where the bathrooms are, they tell you there's no smoking on the airplane, right? Like, I'm convinced nobody actually listens to those uh, instructions. Uh, I think the one thing, the one universal thing that all passengers who fly have in common is that they don't listen to those instructions. And maybe it's just because they're too familiar with them, or maybe it's just because we're indifferent. But the reality is, is those instructions, they go in one ear and out the other. Now, I apologize uh, if you're a flight attendant here this morning, but this is just reality, right? Like, next time you fly sometime, and when they're giving those instructions, just look around, because every time I have flown, and they're giving those instructions, people are either engaged in conversation, they're reading a book, they're watching a movie, they're listening to music, or they're already asleep. Like, that's just the reality, right? And I think we're reminded that we don't listen to those instructions every time we land, and luggage falls out of the overhead compartment and knocks us on the head, because we forget that it shifted during flight. But that's just, it's just the way it goes. But here's the thing. Even though everyone is checked out during those pre-flight instructions, the subject matter of those instructions are kind of a big deal, aren't they? Like the majority of those instructions are what to do in case of an emergency, right? They tell you about oxygen masks. And they tell you about that your seat's a flotation device. They tell you where the emergency exits are. Those things are a big deal because the subject matter of those pre-flight instructions is a matter of life and death. Now, I bring this up to say this. I think sometimes the way that we listen to Jesus is the same way we listen to a flight attendant giving pre-flight instructions. Like, we're physically present in the moment. We, we hear them, but it's going in one ear and out the other. And this could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe we're just too familiar with the words of Jesus. We've heard them over and over and over again that we're, we've kind of become bored by them. That They've become mundane to us. Or maybe we don't see our need for Jesus. We don't see the relevance of his words and how they apply to our lives. And so we're just kind of indifferent towards them. Like you're indifferent towards the flight attendant. But here's the reality. The reality is, is... Jesus, whatever, and whatever the, the case is and how we are tempted, um, we all are tempted not to actually listen to Jesus. And the reality is, is that what Jesus says is like the pre-flight instructions. It's a matter of life and death. City Light, the main thing that Mark chapter 4 is actually going to call us to is, is to listen to Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, 
uh, this actually matters for us this morning, but it's not just because that Jesus' words actually give life. It's also because there are so many other messages out there that we listen to that are vying for our attention. And if we listen to them, it'll drown out the voice of God in our life. The fact is, you and I are, we're literally listening to messages all day long. Like the average person actually sees 10,000 advertisements in a day. And those advertisements are geared towards saying, buy this product, buy, purchase this thing. It'll enhance your life and make your life better. And, and with online algorithms geared towards social media, when you go online, it knows what you like. And so the advertisements are even geared towards what you have interest in. You're listening not only to advertisements, but you're listening to what other people have to say about you. We, we care what our friends think, our spouse thinks, our boss thinks, our likes on social media. We care what other, we're listening to what others say about us. And the person you actually listen to the most is yourself. We, we constantly recycle the messages that we say to ourselves and recite them in our brains over and over and over and over again. And in all these messages, from the culture, from others, from ourselves, let me just ask this question. Are we listening to anything that's life-giving? Are we listening to anything that's life-giving? Because here's what I know. The culture around us, the people around us, even your own voice, it does not possess the power to actually speak into existence a holistic life, an abundant life, an eternal life that will actually change you from the inside out. We do not have the ability to speak the fruit of, of the Spirit into our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, that kind of life, we don't have the power to bring about. We don't we don't have the power to actually bring about a life in our being any more than a dead tree has the ability to bring about fruit to its own life. But there is one person who has that power. His name is Jesus, and he's worth listening to. So if you want this kind of life, it actually starts with your listening skills. What you let into your ears will travel into your heart. It'll travel into your very soul, and it will change you. Who you listen to. It matters. What you listen to, it matters. How you listen, it matters. The question is, what are we going to listen to? I've entitled this morning's message, Listen to Jesus Because He Gives Life. Listen to Jesus Because He Gives Life. And I have three questions I want to answer. Who are you listening to? Why do some people listen and others don't? And how to listen well? So the first question, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Hopefully you have found Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read the, verse, the first nine verses. It says this. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil 
and produce grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the first thing I want us to notice in this text is that Jesus begins and ends his teaching with a call to listen. Listen. Linda, listen. That was for the kids if you know what that video is. Um, Verse 3 begins with listen. Verse 9 says, he who has ears... Let him hear. That word hear will actually appear 13 times in Mark chapter 4. It's the key to understanding the whole passage. Now, before we unpack what this parable means or why Jesus spoke in parables or how we should even listen to Jesus, I want to ask an obvious question. Who is speaking here? Who is speaking here? It's Jesus, right? Jesus is, the, is always the answer, right? Just always go with the Sunday school answer. If any time a pastor asks you a question, just say Jesus. It's always the right answer. Uh, now, as obvious as this question or this point is, I don't want to miss uh, that it's Jesus that is speaking because he could have said anything here. He could have he he used any kind of story in this parable, but he specifically tells a story about a sower sowing some seed. Why? But by itself, if all you had was Mark chapter 4, this doesn't mean much. But when you examine the whole Bible, you'll come to see that this imagery of sowing seed, it's something that God does. Check with me uh, on these verses. Jeremiah 31, 27 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. God's saying, I'm going to come to Judah and Israel, and I'm going to bring life to them, with, populate it with people and with animals, the same way a garden would populate a field with seed. Ezekiel 36.9 says, for behold, I am for you. Man, if the verse just literally said that, it would be like the best verse ever. For behold, I am for you. But it goes on, it says, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. Again, God's saying, I'm like a farmer. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to bring life to you. And then my favorite is in Hosea uh, chapter 2, verses 21 uh, through 23. It says, And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. What God is saying is here is I'm going to speak to the heavens, and the heavens are going to send rain, and they're going to give life back to this city of Jezreel. Jezreel is a city in Israel. Do you know what Jezreel means? It means God will sow. See, all of these prophecies, they point towards a day where God was going to come like a farmer, and he's going to plant his people, and he's going to give them life. He's going to give them the life that they were created for. So for Jesus, to kick off his teaching with this parable about a sower sowing seed. He's not, he's not just saying, hey, I've come to give you this kind of cute story to explain things. No, he's saying, hey, the fulfillment of God's promise to bring life to his people, to bring life back to creation and restore it in the way that it was always meant to be, that is being fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the seed that God the farmer is sending to bring life back to the world. That's what this passage is communicating. See, most people think Jesus is just a teacher that came to just tell us how to live. That's not the case. If this parable tells us anything, it's that the very words of Jesus himself are life. 
Because this is, who is this? This is Jesus. This is God in the flesh come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. This is why he tells a story about a seed. The very nature of a seed is that it's defined by the fact that it can give life. By the very nature, Jesus is defined by the fact that he can impart life. He is God. Think about what this looks like in the story of Jesus just in the first three chapters of Mark. The one who spoke galaxies into existence is the one who spoke to dead bodies and dead hearts and brought them back to life. The one who tells the sun where to set and when to set can also tell demons to be quiet. The one that told a lame man to get off his mat is also the one who told him your sins are forgiven. The one who who was rejected by his own family welcomes us into his own family. The righteous one, Jesus himself, had the words spoken over him by God. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And he returns a voice to us and speaks over us. I have not come for the righteous, but for the sinner. I've come for the sick, not the healthy. Guys, this is just the first three chapters of Mark. This is what Jesus speaks. These are his words of life. Jesus, by his very God nature is the one who can impart life through his own words. Jesus is the sower in the story, and the seed that he scatters are the very words of life that he gives. My question, City Light, is are we listening to Jesus? See, I know for me, it's easy to believe the lie that Christianity and its main message run contrary to that, right? Like so often, because I'm listening to all of the lies um, that, about Christianity that I'm tempted to believe, nah, Christianity is not about Jesus imparting life. It's about do more, be better, earn more, prove yourself, show that God should accept you by how worthy you are. Like just the other day, I'm reading through uh, Matthew's gospel, and I'm in chapter 5, and I'm on the Sermon on the Mount. And because I've been so entrenched in what the culture says and what other people are saying, and even what my myself am saying, like, to, 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 saying to myself, um, there's, a, there's a part of me that when I come to the scriptures, especially like the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is about ready to preach his most famous sermon, the most famous sermon in all the world. And there's a part of me that thinks, oh, Jesus, you should begin it with getting after people and telling them how they're not holy and, and, and provide like, a, um, uh, a, 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 like a, a better version of what people could be um, and cast vision for that. And, and you should give like a three-step plan to, to what it looks like to actually follow you. And instead, Jesus doesn't begin that way. Like he begins with his sermon with saying to the oppressed, to the broken, to the hurting, to the sinner, I call you blessed because life in my kingdom is not about what you can earn or prove or show off to be. It's about what I give to you. I am the one that imparts life. I'm not the life taker. And I I see, I think I have to listen to the goodness of this message so often because every other message around me, whether it's the culture or whether it's others or whether it's myself, there's a part of me that wants to believe the lie that a better life can be achieved apart from Christ and outside the life of the kingdom. And what ends up happening is I don't see that Jesus is actually for me, that he's for my flourishing, that he's for my life. And the truth is, if we don't see first what Jesus is offering, that it's life itself, then we'll become the kind of soil that actually rejects Jesus. The first part of listening to Jesus actually begins with understanding who we are listening to. It's Jesus, the God-man, the one who's come to bring life. 
So if we're listening to, Jesus, to, to who Jesus is, then we must answer the question, why do some people listen and others don't? If Jesus is the Son of God, the one who has the power to impart life, then why do some people not listen to who he is? That's what's going to be answered in the next part of the text. Verses 10 through 12, chapter 4, say this. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So why do some people listen and others don't. What we see in this text is that the disciples, after Jesus is done with his sermon by the lake here, uh, they take him aside at a later date, and they're like, Jesus, we've got at least two questions about your parables. First, like, great story. You included a lot of detail and imagery. Like, I felt like I was there with you and the, the sower and the farming, and I could see all the things planted. What does it mean? Like, can you imagine a pastor getting up and just giving an illustration and then, like, leaving out the punchline and just walking off the stage? Like, that's kind of what Jesus did here. And so the disciples were like, hey, great story. What does that mean? Like, you've got to provide some meaning for that. And then their second question is, is, like, why do you even preach in parables in the first place? Like, you're the son of God. Just come out and say what you want to say. Like, make it plain. Why are you speaking in parables? Before we get to those questions, it might be helpful to answer what a parable actually is. Let me give you a simple definition of a parable. A parable is an earthly story about a heavenly meaning. An earthly story about a heavenly meaning. A parable would take everyday objects that everybody would understand and they would drive home a spiritual truth or spiritual truths for people to grasp. Uh, kind of three characteristics to kind of frame parables. Uh, one is that uh, parables are always teaching something about the kingdom of God. Anytime you come across a parable that Jesus is teaching, he's trying to get you to understand what life in God's kingdom is like. The second thing is parables cause you to think and contemplate what you're hearing. Parables aren't supposed to be like grasped on one sitting. Like, you're, you're, like intellectually you can grasp it, but you're supposed to plumb the depths of it with your own heart. See your place in the, the parable and see how it applies to your life. The third thing is parables cannot be understood apart from Jesus and the gospel. Like Jesus is the driving point of all of the parables. And so we can't actually fully grasp their spiritual nature unless we come to Jesus with faith. Unless we come to Jesus and say, I'm literally wanting to know at a spiritual level what you're trying to communicate to me in the parable. I believe and trust in you. So if that's what a parable is, why does Jesus teach in parables. Well, verses 11 and 12 show us. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Sounds kind of harsh, Jesus. What are you talking about? Like, you, you literally want people to not understand you? What are you, what, what are you getting after here? Well, Jesus is actually quoting from the book of Isaiah chapter 6. It's actually the same chapter that Ryan uh, quoted about uh, when it talked about the vision of God and his majesty and holiness. And if you keep reading that chapter, uh, God comes to Isaiah and he says, who's going to go for us? Like, who's going to go out to the people of God and declare the message that God wants to send to them? And Isaiah's like, here I am, send me. 
and we love that verse. Like if you're familiar with that, that passage, we take that and we put it on coffee cups and uh, create Christian memes out of it and it's on t-shirts. It's a popular verse. But if you actually keep reading that chapter, it's not like the context is weird. Like Jesus or uh, God is basically telling Isaiah like, yes, I want you to go and declare the message that I have for the people, but it's going to divide the people. Like there's going to be a lot of people who aren't going to listen to you. Like, can you imagine getting that message from God? Like, who, who's going to go for us? Here I am, send me. Great. Go to the people. They're not going to listen to what you have to say. Like, that's what God tells Isaiah in that moment. But as much as people won't listen, there are a people that God will preserve for himself who do listen. And the chapter literally ends with calling these people a seed. A seed. You, you don't think Jesus knows what he's doing when he's quoting Isaiah 6? Of course he does. So Jesus picks up on this theme uh, when he's giving uh, the parables to show that his message actually also divides people. His, his message also divides people. The, the parables have a dual effect. They actually make you receptive to Jesus or they harden your heart against Jesus. And the words of God have always done this. The words of God have always divided people. In fact, if you go into the Old Testament, um, when Israel is being uh, freed from Egypt and they're being led uh, through the Red Sea, this cloud comes and the text literally says that it was light to the Israelite, Israelites and darkness to the Egyptians. Same cloud. Light and darkness to two, two groups of people. What that communicates is that this cloud was a protection for Israel because they put their faith in Jesus. But it was also a condemnation on Egypt because of their hardness of hearts. The words of God always make people insiders and outsiders. It divides them. People who listen and people who don't listen. And the words of Jesus are no different. Insiders to the parables are the ones that listen. They have the secret of the kingdom. Now, the secret isn't something that, like, through a lot of reason or uh, achieving a particular spiritual level that you get the secret. No, no, no. The secret is just simply that the kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus, and those who have the secret have accepted that. They've believed that Jesus is the arrival of God's kingdom. But outsiders, they hear the parables, and they can't understand what they're hearing. They don't turn to Jesus because they don't see their need for him. Now, this isn't saying you can't flip-flop. Like, insiders can become outsiders, and outsiders can become insiders. In fact, in Mark's gospel, this plays out. Uh, there's a, at the end of the gospel, there's a centurion Roman soldier right before the cross, and he says, this is the son of God. He's an outsider. He is a Roman soldier, and yet he became an insider. Likewise, Judas, who's literally part of the 12, betrays Jesus. He's an insider who actually becomes an outsider. So you, insiders can become outsiders, outsiders can become insiders. But what it does mean, or what this parable means, is that in the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus' parables are always teaching about, in the kingdom of God, Jesus ultimately gives people what they want. What they want. If you don't want Jesus, deep down in your soul, if you don't want Jesus, then the more that you listen to him, the more you're going to be indifferent towards him. If you don't want Jesus, the more you're going to try to disprove who he is, that you're going to dismiss what he says, that you're going to try to poke holes in what he says until eventually you won't be able to even listen to what Jesus has to say to you anymore. You'll be so hard-hearted. You may logically understand the parable. You may, because Jesus literally provides 
the interpretation of the parable in the text. So you can logically understand where the pieces line up and you can spit off the answer of what the parable actually means, but you spiritually won't be able to understand the parable because you don't see your place in it and you don't see your need for Jesus. But if you want Jesus, like deep down in your soul, you actually want him, then the more that you listen to him, the more you're going to be convicted of your own sin, the more that you're going to be quick to repent, the more that you're going to be quick to desire uh, to desire to serve and love and obey him with your life. You, you'll not only logically understand the parable and be able to say the answers, but you'll spiritually know it more and more and more because you'll see your place in the parable and you'll turn to Jesus for the answers. You'll turn to Jesus for life itself. It's like the expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Right? You guys know this expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I've owned a few dogs uh, in my lifetime, and the first dog that I can remember ever owning uh, was when I was a kid. I owned a Scottish terrier named Roxy, and I hated this dog. Um, this dog was the worst. Uh, like, it didn't, like, obey any of our commands. It didn't listen to anything of what we said. We'd be like, Roxy, sit, and Roxy would, like, pee on the floor. We'd be like, Roxy, get in your kennel, and, it was, and she would, like, run away. We'd be like, Roxy, like, go outside and go to the bathroom, and she would, like, run into the kitchen and, like, jump in the garbage and start attacking everybody. Like, she was not a fun dog. It was a mess of a dog. And here's the thing. The older she got, the worse it got, right? It, it was like the more we tried to train her, the more defiant she got until eventually she just ignored us whenever we told her to do anything, right? Like, like even it, we couldn't even teach her new tricks because she hadn't mastered anything we had told her to do. And then we pawned her off on some friends. Um, just kidding. We didn't do that. Um, when I was in middle school, though, uh, I had another dog named Molly, and she was an Airedale, and this dog was awesome. Uh, she was a former show dog, um, and so she was amazing at listening to what we would tell her to do because she had actually cultivated a year after year after year listening uh, to her trainer. She had had a discipline of listening, and even when we taught her a bunch of new tricks, she got them really quick because she was so good at listening. Because this is what it is like when it comes to listening to Jesus. And this is the point he's driving home with the parables here. If we continue to harden our hearts towards Jesus, like my dog Roxy, and we refuse to listen to Jesus, then eventually we won't be able to listen to him anymore. And we'll become defiant towards him. But if we listen to Jesus like my dog Molly and cultivate a heart that continually listens to Jesus, learns a discipline of listening to Jesus, then we'll be more and more and more open to his words. Now, I don't want to push past this with just a cute illustration. What do we do with this? This is a very tough teaching from Jesus, and I think it's best if we just own that, right? However, I think we can respond to this text in at least three ways. Let me go through these quickly. One, don't give up on the outsider. Don't give up on the outsider in your life. I know for me, like, guys, I've seen so many people who are hostile to Jesus, and they're now Christians. Like, I've seen people literally say out loud, I will never have anything to do with Christianity. I will never follow Jesus. I'll never put my faith in him. And now they're serving and loving Jesus. Like, we serve a God that actually can melt the hardest of hearts. Just this past school year, 
in our college ministry uh, with some of the leaders that I disciple, we literally prayed for this one guy all semester to become a Christian. And right before break, I just found out that he actually gave his life to Christ. Like, God is in the business of saving people, even the people we think are unredeemable. See, something practical I think we can all do is ask ourselves, who is the person in our life that we think would never come to faith in Jesus? What would it look like if we spent 2022 praying for that person? Because here's what I know. God is in the business of saving people, even the ones with the hardest of hearts. And I know he's going to do it in 2022 because he did it in 2021. And he did it in 2020, and he's been doing it every year since the earth has been in existence. And he's going to do it this year. Would we be faithful to praying for those people in our lives that we think would never become a Christian and may God actually save them? Don't give up on the outsider. The second one is trust that the kingdom of God is still advancing even when it doesn't look like it. Uh, if you notice in the parable, the sower casts his seed somewhat at random, almost kind of negligent, right? He's like, let's throw some seed here and throw it. Like, who throws seed on a path, right? Like, he just throws seed kind of everywhere um, when he's uh, uh, sowing the field. It's like my kids coming home, right? And they're just throwing their stuff everywhere, right? Their coat ends up in the kitchen. Their shoes end up who knows where. Their backpack is, like, spread out all over the floor, right? Like, your kids come home, and they just kind of throw every, uh, everything everywhere. When I was reading this to my wife, she's like, yeah, but, John, you do it too, which is true. Um, but uh, this, this parable, I think what it uh, is trying uh, to get at is God isn't just throwing his seed at random. There's, there's three different types of soil that don't bear fruit and only one that does. That tells us something about the kingdom of God, and it's this. It doesn't always look like God's kingdom is growing. It doesn't always look like God's kingdom is advancing. It can feel like everyone is against Jesus, but the truth is nothing can stop the kingdom of God from growing. So in your life, when you feel like it's hard to be a Christian, when your friends seem indifferent towards Jesus, when your family seems hostile towards him, when your coworkers are, are closed off towards the gospel, know that Jesus is still building his kingdom. He did not make a mistake in casting the seed. The people are still going to come to faith in him. Are there soils out there where people are going to reject Jesus? Absolutely. That's a guarantee. You know what else is a guarantee? That there are soils out there that are going to receive Jesus. Guys, seeds take time to grow, and so does faith. Trust that the kingdom of God is still advancing even when it doesn't look like it. And number three, don't harden your own heart. Don't harden your heart. City Light, I love you enough to tell you the truth. You have limited time to listen to Jesus. You have limited time to listen to Jesus. And if we continue to harden your heart towards Jesus, you're eventually going to become so calloused that you won't be able to respond to Jesus. I don't pretend to know how that works. Like, you have free will. God is sovereign. But here's what I know is true. You are alive and breathing in this room right now, which means your story isn't over, and God can still melt your heart as well. God can still undo your hardened heart. Would today be the day that you let your guard down, soften your pride against Jesus, and pay attention to his words that you might listen for the first time to his message of salvation and find life? Some people don't listen, and God's going to give them what they want, deafness to his truth. But that doesn't have to be you. In fact, God will also give to people who want him what they want, more of Jesus and more of his words. So this leads me to my last question. 
How do you listen well? How do you listen well? Let's pick back up the text. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus is going to explain what this parable means. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. When their word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So how do you listen well? Well, Jesus explains these, uh, this parable in these verses. And just to put everyone on the same page, here's what everything represents in the parable. The sower, that's Jesus. The seed, that's the word or the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus ha- has come to save. And the soil, that's the human heart. It's our receptivity to the gospel. And in this explanation, Jesus shows us that not everyone who listens to the word or even receives the seed is actually receptive to it and open to it. In fact, he describes three different types of soils that are not receptive to his words, and they progressively actually get worse to the point where they, are, they quit listening to Jesus. Let's go through these. The first kind of soil is what I call the disinterested. The disinterested. Verse 15 talks about seed sown along a path, and it says when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. A path in the ancient world would have been super hard on the surface because it's been worn down. People have tread on it. It would almost be impossible for a seed to actually penetrate into a path. Therefore, the person represented by this soil is somebody who has an incredibly hard heart towards Jesus. They're like the Pharisees who reject Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. But I don't think a hard-hearted person is always somebody who is hostile to the Gospel. Because here's what I know. The the devil, if he can't get you to dismiss Jesus outright, he's going to try to get you to just be disinterested in him. Maybe for some of you, you don't hate Jesus, but you just don't think he can provide you any benefit. Maybe some of us grew up in the church, but we think Jesus is just kind of boring. Maybe some of us think Jesus is a good teacher, but we don't want to overhaul our whole lives and follow him. I call this group the disinterested group because at the end, they don't really care about Jesus. They can take him or leave him. And if this is you, you need to know that there is actually a real enemy out for your soul. His name is Satan. And if you continue to be passive and apathetic towards Jesus, then Satan is going to take your passivity towards God and turn it into protection against God. He's going to take your apathy towards God and turn it into anger towards God. However, if you are the disinterested, hard-hearted person here this morning, you also need to know that you have a Savior. His name is Jesus, and he stands ready not to condemn you, but to show you a life, his life, a life in the kingdom of God, a life that you could never imagine. May you open your ears and listen to the saving words that Jesus offers you and receive the life that he wants to give you. The second type of soil is the disheartened. The disheartened. 
uh, verse 16 says that some seed is sown along rocky ground, and at first they receive the word with joy. They are excited by it, but they fail to get the roots so that when life gets tough, the text says when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. If seed was sown on rock, everything next to a rock, there's no soil there because the rock is displacing it all. And so it's, it's really shallow in that area. Therefore, the person that's represented by this type of soil has a shallow kind of faith. Uh, th- this is like the crowd in the Gospel of Mark. They love Jesus for the miracles, but they're not so much interested in giving their whole lives to him. This is the kind of person that says things like this, like, God, I'll follow you so long as I get to get my thing that I want, right? Like, I'll follow you so long as I get to pick my career, get married, make a certain amount of money, have kids, have a relationship with my grandkids, get to choose where I live, get the retirement that I want, right? God, I'll follow you so long as I fill in the blank. They say things like, God, I was with you when I could just come to City Light and raise my hands in worship around a bunch of other Christians. But if you ask me to move to a country where I'm the only Christian, then I'm out. That's too hard. They say things like, God, it was good when I could just read my Bible, go to church, have some Christian friends. But have you seen how Christians are are getting treated in the world? Like they're getting persecuted everywhere or even uh, worse. There there are Christians out there doing things that are not, uh, they don't look like Jesus. They're not of you. And that's causing other Christians to get lumped in with that like myself. And now we have this terrible reputation in the world, right? Like I I don't want that. If I'm going to get treated uh, by the world with scorn for being a Christian, then, then I'm out. See, there's this perception that if you follow Jesus, then everything's just going to go awesome for you, and your life will be automatically fixed. That's just not true. And if you believe that, your faith won't sustain you when life does get hard. And when you find out that Jesus is interested in changing your heart and not necessarily your circumstances, when that happens, you become disheartened. The truth is, a faith that is shallow will only follow Jesus if it's an easy life. It's no faith at all because what you really want is a life on your terms, not the true life that Jesus can give you. Guys, I can't promise that following Jesus will be worry-free, but what I can promise you is it's worth it. He won't always fix everything around you, but he will fulfill you. Listen to his saving words this morning. The third type of soil. The third type of soil is the disillusioned. The disillusion. Verse 18 says that some seed is sown among the thorns, and these thorns represent the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. This type of soil in the Gospel of Mark is actually represented by Jesus' own family. They like Jesus, but they also want a particular status alongside him. Because I think perhaps this might be the most dangerous of all the soils. Because the person represented by it doesn't intentionally reject Jesus, but slowly, over time, they drift away from him. They drift towards pleasures and comforts and other things in this world. City Light, I think if some of us were honest and we took a look at our lives, we'd have to say that our relationship with Jesus is more like a fad that we had in the past than a genuine faith that we have in the present. If we were honest, we would say that our faith looks more like a fad than it does genuine faith. 
Maybe as we look at our past, there was a, a time where we loved Jesus. We came to church every week. We were in a city group. Maybe we led one. We went on a missions trip. We shared Jesus with our friends. We read our Bibles every day. And we look back on that time. We're like, I have never been so close to Jesus than that time. And then we look at our present life. And somewhere along the line, we grew up. We got buried in a career. We got a bigger house so we could put more stuff into it. We started living for the next promotion, the next kid, the next wedding anniversary, the next new thing, anything to distract us and keep us entertained and settling for the American dream. And maybe you're here this morning and you're looking at your life right now and you're disconnected from the church. Your Bible's collecting dust on your shelf. Your prayer life, it's non-existent. You're listening to political pundits more than you're listening to Jesus. And your love for God has actually grown cold. And you're disillusioned about Christianity. And you are at a place where you would actually admit, yeah, you know what? I think my relationship with Jesus, it was just a fad. There is no genuine faith. Because this soil is the disillusion because they think they can just coast on their past experiences of faith. And when they don't fight to listen to Jesus, they're surprised when the noise of the world crowds out the voice of Jesus. This does not have to be your story if this is you here this morning. This leads me to my final and last soil, the fruitful soil, the one we all should aspire to. Verse 20 says that this soil is good because they're the ones who hear the word and accept it. The word here in this verse actually takes on a different verb tense. In all of the other three soils, the verb tense is what is considered the aorist tense. It's basically a one and done. I listened to Jesus, I heard him once, and now I'm done and I'm moving on. But the way the verb is used here is done in the present tense. It means that it's ongoing. Therefore, to hear the word in this sense, to be the fruitful soil, means that you're constantly cultivating a heart that listens to Jesus and then responds. The person, this person that is represented in this soil, follows through on all the ways the first three soils miss. They welcome the word immediately so that Satan cannot snatch it away from them. They welcome it deeply so that uh, it is not withered by persecution. They accept the gospel exclusively so that others uh, that other concerns do not strangle their faith. But then notice the crop. It's 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Guys, a banner year in the harvest time during this era was like 15 to 20-fold. What Jesus is saying here is that he can do the supernatural, that he won't just improve your life, but he'll bring a whole new life. The fruit we produce isn't just a cute analogy. It means that we will be completely changed to look like Jesus. How does this work? One of my favorite verses, John chapter 12, verse 24, says this, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat, that's a seed, falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. There's a modern expression that says, they tried to bury us, they didn't know we were seeds. They tried to bury us, they didn't know we were seeds. And Jesus, guys, that expression becomes real. Jesus is the true seed who is buried into the ground, but his death actually brings life to the world, to you and to me, if we believe. Guys, a seed is so weak that it can be crushed into pieces in just the palm of our hand, and yet it is so strong that it can produce a tree that can break through the hardest of stones. In God, we see, or in Jesus, we see God take on human weakness and literally be crushed by human hands into pieces. 
weaknesses, but his strength is revealed by breaking through the powers of Satan, sin, and death. And he can break through any hard heart that might be in our midst today. See, Jesus isn't just the one offering the words of life. He's the very word of life himself because he gives up his own life so that you and I can have eternal life. The one who breathed into the dirt and gave us physical life actually goes into the dirt himself as a seed that we might have spiritual life. The only way we can be fruitful soil is through the life of Christ given for us. Who are you listening to? May it always be Jesus. Some people won't listen, but God's word will always remain faithful. In City Light, may we never stop listening to Jesus and cultivating our hearts to receive what he has for us.